Good morning. Hi. I don't think I've ever had to speak on confetti before. You can see it all down here. But um, I'm Steve, and um, I'm one of the main leaders or key leaders in church life. I want to really welcome everyone here this morning, particularly if you're new to church or you're new to this church. I just loved the spot item. I hope you did. Fantastic, wasn't it? And it's such a wonderful introduction to the book of Ruth for us, because we're going to do a series in Ruth starting today. I love the book of Ruth on so many levels. Actually, if you study it, it is an incredibly well-constructed piece of literature. And you can see there's a balance going on and a crescendo and all kinds of things are going on there. I love the book of Ruth because if it was made into a film, it would be the kind of film that I, Sue and I would watch. It's got that wonderful happy ending, hasn't it? Maybe it's a bit sad at the front and we might struggle with that one. But it, it just has a, such a wonderful, happy ending, doesn't it? But I love the story of Ruth because it's also, I think, a true story. Set in our kind of world, a messy kind of world. And yet, and yet, it's a story of hope, isn't it? And life can be very, very messy, can't it? And when we get into tragedy and um, issues, we, anyway, when we get into situations that go wrong, like the PowerPoint, you, um, sometimes you can give up on God. No, I'm not going to do that. But you can, in, in life's tragedies, one can doubt, doubt that God is good, and people often begin to walk away from God, don't they? I was in Southmead Hospital a few weeks ago encouraging people to come to the chaplaincy service there. I spoke to a guy and he said, well, I used to go to church when I was younger, um, but now he said, I'm not sure I believe in God anymore because I have seen so many family relatives suffer and die. And maybe, and he's saying, well, where's God? How does he allow this? And maybe you've had that experience. Maybe people have said that to you and they don't believe in God because of suffering. And maybe as you've gone through suffering and tragedy and difficulty, it's made you waver. You've made you think about, do I really believe in God? And what I love about the book of Ruth is that... um, It's set in a messy time. It's set in the time of the judges. And that was an incredibly messy time. At the end of the book of Judges, it says that there was no king and people did as they pleased or they did whatever was right in their own lives. There was anarchy going on. There were some incredibly gruesome things going on. And God, in his wisdom, puts this book of Ruth at the end of the book of Judges, in the inspiration of the scriptures, he puts that book of Ruth just there and showing that he is pointing hope in that tragedy and difficult circumstances. And so I think as we look at Ruth this morning, it can give us something that can enable us to cope in times of trouble and difficulty. So let's read together.
what I'm going to read. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. I think Chris is going to do it, yeah. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Apathrites in Bethlehem, Judea. And they went to live in Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. And after they'd lived there about ten years, both Mahalon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord, Yahweh that is, had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. And said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, and this is a sort of a cultural thing. Why return home, my daughters? Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud and then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. I love this bit. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth does this amazing thing. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or go turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem 
as the barley harvest was beginning. The question we're asking ourselves this morning is how can we cope in the mess of life? Naomi and Ruth knew something of that pain and tragedy. Naomi had known famine. She had had to move her house and home to, to in search of food. She was a refugee that we see so many people like that in our day and age. It could be more tragic than that. It is no wonder that she says, don't call me Naomi, you're pleasant, but call me Mara, bitter. She traces the reason for her mess to the Lord Almighty has made my life bitter. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. It would, of course, be easy to construct an argument that says that God is the author of tragedy. That God is the author of suffering from this passage. But I don't think that's the case. Naomi is the one that says this. Some people, of course, take this kind of view that God is sovereign and controlling every aspect. That's not my view. But let me just paint that for a moment. Some people say that God is controlling every event. Or at least, if it's not controlling, he's allowing But even if you say God is allowing something, that means that he could have done differently. He has the power and therefore he could have done differently. He could have taken away that tragedy. And then you have to ask yourself, why didn't he? And the answer that people give is, because God is good, and the Bible tells us that again and again and again, he must have a good purpose for allowing that tragedy and that's a particular view that is is given but often it leads to people doubting their faith I've seen that countless times over the years in this church that people when they've gone through tragedy have either lost faith or they've gone very lukewarm because they've seen I think that this is the hand of God in their lives and I think when you really think about suffering and you see, you know, um, what is it? I looked up on Wikipedia this morning. 500,000 people dying in the Syrian war. 13 million people displaced. I was, we were watching Michael Palin in North Korea recently. And um, a million people died of starvation in the 1990s there. Suffering around our world is so huge, so significant. So I want to give a slightly different view to that. Because I think that God is good. This isn't the church, but this is my view. Understand that, please. First thing we need to remember is that it's Naomi that says this. She says God has afflicted me. It's not the author or the inspiration, the person that authored and inspired The person who authored the the book of Ruth that says this. So maybe God isn't saying this. The second thing I think we need to understand is that not everything in this world happens as God wants it. See, God has given free will to human beings because he he was looking for love. And love, you have to be able to make a free choice to love. 
And so, as a consequence, as people have chosen not to love God, not to go his way, people sin. And as because of consequence of sin, suffering comes into the world. There are other wills that are going on, not just God's. And so we see in our passage here, God had promised to bless the Israelites in the land. He had promised to bless them. And yet the story of the book of Judges is that Israel goes away from God and sins. They go away from God, they sin, and therefore God withdraws his blessing. And I believe then that famine came onto the land. And it's that context that the book of Ruth is written. We saw it was a famine in the land. And it's in that situation that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, chooses to leave the land. And actually, I think what he did there was wrong. He should have stayed in the land. They were told again and again to live in the land. They should have been crying out to God in their problem, not trying to escape from the problem. So actually what they did there, Elimelech did at least, whether Naomi had a choice in that matter or not in that day and age, we don't know. But certainly he made that choice. And I think that you know, we should be looking in our crisis and our problems. I, I believe that God can give us resources to help us. Like Paul in the Philippians 4 says, I have learnt to be in need and I have learnt to be in plenty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's resources, and that's my experience, that even in my darkest days that God's resources are there. I hold on to him. Sometimes I can't hold on to him, but I feel he holds on to me. And in time, I come to a place where I know and experience his resources helping me. It is so easy in our moments of crisis to run, to escape, to leave, to find the grass is greener. We need to be careful that we move on on under the call of God in our lives and not run or go out of escapism. So the other thing we need to bear in mind with Elimelech and his situation is that I think that him leaving the land, he was actually putting himself in a position that removed himself further from God's protection and blessing. We know from other parts of scripture that God made angelic beings and that they had free will like human beings. And we know that Satan fell. He was an angel. He was the biggest angel. And yet he made the biggest fall, didn't he? He chose to go away from God and other angels went him. So went with him. And therefore we have these, these, these demonic forces and angels in the spiritual realm. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the forces in the spiritual realms. There is that realm as well that plays into this environment and into this situation. And so I wonder if... when. So another example of this, of course, is we see this in Daniel 10 
where there was this battle going on between the archangel Michael and the prince of Persia. And Michael was trying to bring in the purposes of God. And there was this spiritual battle going on and it affected them. These spiritual forces deeply affect what happens in our lives and in our worlds. And I wonder when they went out of the land of Israel into the land of Moab where they were worshipping Shemosh, their god, a, a dark spiritual power, did, had they fundamentally, did that fundamentally affect them and their lives? So as I, so maybe you're asking the question, is my personal mess, is my tragedy down to my sin? Well, it could be. But in general, I think it is not. It is down to the spiritual forces environment and the nation and the area in which we live in. There are lots and lots of different components that play into this. Even if you think about Elimelech, for example, and Naomi. Why was there a famine in the land of Israel? Was it because of Elimelech and Naomi's sin? Probably not. It was probably the Israelites as a whole had sinned against God. So that corporate sin of the nation affected them as individuals, didn't it? And we need to bear that in mind as we as we understanding this scenario, this situation. So my first point was that Naomi was saying it rather than God. The second point was that it's not just God's will that affects situations, but there are lots of other wills. There are human wills and there are spiritual powers that are affecting tragedies and life situation. My third point I want to give to you this morning about this and why we can trust God is because God is good. Isn't that good? I think that's amazing. So let's have a look at that. See, when Naomi was saying it, she was saying that this without the full revelation of Jesus. And we know that Jesus reveals fully what God is like. And when, if you ask me why I think God is good, it's because I look at Jesus and I know that Jesus is good. He didn't put suffering and sickness on people, but he came to sort that out. He came to bring healing. He came to bring wholeness. Now, we might not see that in life, this life, but that's God's heart. Jesus summarizes in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, when he's talking to Cornelius, he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Jesus came along and did good. What was, and he is replacing what was bad those that somehow the devil was involved in the world when jesus brings in his kingdom his rule what is he pushing out the power the powers of the evil in the dark world is he not and if you want another scripture john 10 10 the thief comes only to steal to kill and destroy Jesus says, I have come to bring life and life to the full. And then, if it, just to accentuate it and make it clearer, I've never really read it with the next verse. It says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then it goes on and says, And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
that God loves us and that he is good. So my first reason for and how we can cope in the troubles and tragedy of life is that God is good. He is good and he is good all the time. You know, why do things happen to people? Why do bad things happen? We don't know and we often say that, I don't know. And we're happy with saying we don't know. But I want to put a rider on that one. I want to say, but we do know that God is good. The problem is not with God and his character. The problem is with the mess of this world. And we can have the next slide, that'd be good. And the next one. Lovely. So I want to say that. Life is messy, but God is good. God is good. He is good all the time. In fact, somebody said that God is in a good mood. And you might struggle with that one. But actually, I think he's in a good mood all the time. Because that's his character, his nature. He is good. He doesn't blow hot and cold depending on how much sleep he had, like you and me. He doesn't blow hot and cold whether somebody cut us up in the traffic. God is good all the time. And he is in a good mood all the time. So it really is worth coming to him. And I perhaps haven't managed to unpack all the arguments for that particular way of understanding the scriptures. What I want to recommend to you is a book called by Gregory Boyd that says, Is God to blame? And I think the answer is no. He is good. Earlier we saw that Naomi was bitter. But let's not... Let's not dismiss her because actually I think there was a lot of things that were going on in her as well that were really, really good. And let's just look at some of those. She shows kindness to her daughters and says, don't come with me. Would have been nice for them to come, wouldn't it? In her prayer, she recognises their kindness that they had shown to her sons. She even blesses them in her prayer. But more than that, There was something in Naomi that Ruth saw, wasn't there? There was something in her that said, I'm going to commit my life, I'm going to follow this woman, and I'm going to follow her God. There was something in Naomi, wasn't it, that enabled Ruth to make this remarkable faith commitment and to travel with her. And that, of course, was the turning point of this story. That was the turning point of something much, much bigger that we'll see in a moment. Love turns the story. Love in tragedy is so powerful and we need it. So there's some keys to coping in the mess of life. The first is God is good. Run to him. Don't run away from him. The second one is to find the good in the circumstances and be thankful like Naomi. She saw the good in her daughters. The third is to move out from ourselves as much as we possibly can and be a blessing to others. And just like Ruth, she could have said, oh, I'm a poor widow, I'm not going to do this. But actually, she made this incredible commitment of love that changed things. And my fourth aspect of how we can cope in the mess of life is that God is working for good. 
Ruth and Naomi did not see that big picture, did they? As they returned to the land and to the Lord Yahweh, he was working. God is almost like a silent person in the book of Ruth. But he is working. He is moving. He is doing his thing. He's seeking to restore it and redeem it. As in the spot item, there was this happy ending, wasn't it? There was that hurrah of the birth of a child who was the grandfather of David. And David being the greatest Israeli king who brought blessing on the nation of Israel. You know, we started that story in the mess in the time of Judges where everyone did what they saw fit. There was that anarchy that was going on. But through love, Ruth's love to Naomi, Boaz's love to Ruth, there came that child and there became David. David means beloved. There was this story, that bigger story that was going on that brought redemption. And then, of course, there is that even bigger story that we can see that David points to Jesus that, that, who will bring redemption and restoration in the world. Ruth's faithful love and devotion to Naomi and to the Lord brought Jesus into the world. Jesus was descended from David And so Ruth is honoured and named in the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of the Gospels. God's bigger story. God is working in our tragedy and difficulties and problems and pain. And it does feel painful at times, doesn't it? Life may not always have a happy ending that we want. But God is working if we love him. Romans 8 verse 28 says... All things work to the good of those who love him. I don't think all things are good, but God is working good in all things. He is working good. He is seeking to restore things finally in Jesus. So how does this map out for us? How does it land for us? How does this affect us? What are we going to do? How, how, what's our part to play? I think we need to be not like Elimelech who ran from God in the crisis and in the moment. We need to be like Ruth and Naomi who ran back, who went back to Israel, who went back to Bethlehem. They returned to Bethlehem and Bethlehem means the house of bread. I love it that Jesus, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Because God is bringing his resources for us to feed on. The bread of life. He is good. Come to him. I started with a story about praying for this guy in Southmead Hospital. And so I began, or talking to him at least, and I began to tell him, but Jesus is good. Jesus loved people. Jesus didn't want people to suffer. He sought to to undo suffering and bring healing. He cried at Lazarus. And I was running out of time and I don't know whether he quite got what I was saying, but I I prayed for him and blessed him and prayed that God's love would come upon him. And as we were stood about five yards apart, I, I, I heard him beginning to cry and weep. God obviously was touching his life. And God wants us to touch 
to touch our lives in our pain and our sorrow and our tragedy because he's good and he loves us. We need to bring our pain to him. We need to find the good and be thankful. But I want to encourage us to walk in faith and love like Ruth did in your tragedy. Maybe you're not in tragedy and you're in a good place. Just walk in faith and love, okay? Is that right? And, but, you know, we just, that's the thing. That's what we need to do. And we can, as we do that, God is working, isn't he? He's working for good. He's bringing in his big picture. And I want, I'm just going to end with this verse. It's a verse I love because I think it captures so much for me. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, um, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. Love, goodness. See, God is so wide, isn't he? His love is so wide you can't go around it. Wouldn't it be amazing if we grasp something of his love? His his love is, is so deep that Whatever deep our problems are, he, 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 he's there. And it's so long. You know, however old you are, wherever you're going, he, he, his love is still there, isn't it? And it's so high, isn't it? And God's love is so high that, you know, he can just... There's just so much more of God, isn't there, that he wants to touch our lives. Wouldn't it be amazing if we, we really grasped more of his love for us? God's direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. You know, for Jesus, it wasn't easy sometimes following the way of the Father. You know, he endured the cross because of the joy set before him, didn't he? And God is calling us sometimes to that hard journey, the good journey, the right journey. Sometimes doing the right thing is really, really hard. But he calls us to persevere, doesn't he? The story goes, I think it's a true story. Yeah, it is a true story. About the horse, a racing horse called Secretariat. I think we've got a picture of him somewhere. There we are. And um, he was a champion racer, champion race horse. And they were astounded by his stamina and endurance. And he was a very successful racehorse. When he died, the veterinarians uh, dissected him and were amazed to find that he had a big heart. He had a heart three times bigger than a normal horse. And that they put down to the secret of his endurance and his speed. And I think God is wanting us. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had bigger hearts? If we experience something of his heart of love that just goes on and on and on and on. We had bigger hearts for each other. Bigger hearts and perseverance that enables us to, to keep going. And I think if we capture his love, we will be able to touch our society, touch our community. For God is wanting to do that in our lives. We're going to have communion now, which obviously speaks of God's love. Obviously speaks of the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep.
Maybe you need to just feed on him again today. Be like Naomi and Ruth, who went back to Bethlehem. They went back to the house of bread. We need to come to the bread of life. Come to the bread of life and feed on him. Thank you, God, that you reveal yourself as good in Jesus. Help us to grasp your goodness in the face of tragedy and pain. Thank you, God, you understand because you've been in that place of pain. As we feed on your bread and wine, as we recognize that you died upon the cross, may we feed on your life, feed on your strength, Feed on your joy. Would you come and touch us this morning with your love that you want to pour out? You love each one. Would you do that, Lord? Amen.